John chapter number uh, 20 in your Bibles. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. We're going to look at verse 21 and 22. That will be our launching off point. We're going to continue our theme, the commands of Christ, and look at a, a series here entitled, Coming to God. Coming to God. Look with me at John 20. And I'll read 21, then we'll read verse 22 together. The Bible says, Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. Together, when he had said this, he breathed on them and said unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. There's the command of Christ right there in verse 22. Receive ye the Holy Ghost. What does that mean? There's a lot of misunderstanding in Christianity about who the Holy Ghost is what His role is in our lives. And I want to address that this morning. Receive ye the Holy Ghost, this command of Christ. Let's pray together today. Lord, help us as we open the Bible and study it and seek to understand it. And then, Lord God, help us to go forth and be challenged by what we hear today. Lord God, work in our hearts in a very special way. We love You. Thank You for the cross of Calvary. Thank You for how You have showed us Your love through the cross. I think of John 15, 13, greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friend. Thank you, Jesus, for laying down your life for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Before I get into my notes this morning, one note here. Oh boy, this is a doozy. One note I wanted to read here uh, from Valerie Chippio in regards to her passing of her mother. She said, Dearest White Oak Baptist Church, thank you for your extraordinary love, support, and efforts for all those who called us with encouragement, brought us a meal to our home, uh, everyone who sent cards uh, uh, for the pictures being uh, turned into the videos and, uh, the, the, uh, uh, and, and those who taped Walter's service. Uh, for uh, and, and I'm not going to read names here, but just a whole bunch of names of people uh, for getting food set up, uh, the, the, the meal served, uh, and just all the work that was put in. Those who helped clean the building. She says, this church family is so amazing. You've made me cry. I feel so loved by all of you. Uh, she goes on and says that the funeral service was beautiful. Uh, the speech that was given to the family uh, for her brother Walter, a, uh, a powerful message that uh, could reach a billion people, she says. Praise the Lord. Some got saved. I'll never forget it. And uh, for uh, those who were involved in the uh, playing of the piano and the singing, um, rejoice in the Lord. She said, God just surrounded all of us with His incredible grace and support straight from heaven to earth. Psalm 121, to help us get through this very difficult time. Blessed are those who mourn, for they, uh, they shall be comforted. Uh, and uh, she includes Isaiah 26, 3 and 4. She says, we love you all so much. Uh, she says, a salute uh, to me, Brateo, Brother Walter, see you soon. Uh, she said, P.S., you all make a difference in my life. Love, Valerie, Tim, uh, Lu- Luis, Tim Jr., and family. So uh, thank you for all of those who uh, rallied around Valerie during her time of loss of her brother. Receive you the Holy Ghost. Let's talk about that this morning. If you received a bulletin on your way in, you'll notice on the back there is a place for you to fill in our outline. We'll get to that here quickly. Imagine a small group of believers are gathered together in an upper room filled with anticipation and great uncertainty. They had been there and had witnessed uh, the events around Jesus' crucifixion. 
uh, they had uh, seen uh, his resurrection, and then they had been there when he ascended into heaven. But now they found themselves waiting for something more. Suddenly, there was a sound like a rushing mighty wind that filled the room, and tongues of fire appeared and rested upon each person present. The Holy Spirit had come upon them just as Jesus had promised at the presence of the Holy Spirit, as the presence of the Holy Spirit enveloped them, they were utterly transformed. Fear was replaced by boldness. Confusion by clarity. And weakness by great power. They began to speak in different languages, miraculously proclaiming the wonders of God to all who were present. The room was filled with awe and amazement as people from various nations heard the message in their own tongue There at Pentecost, this powerful event marked the birth of the New Testament church and revealed the role of the Holy Spirit in the lives of the believers. The Holy Spirit empowered uh, uh, these early Christians to fulfill their message of spreading the gospel, uh, writing the Bible, and establishing the church. With the Spirit's guidance and empowerment, they were able to perform miracles, heal the sick, and boldly proclaim the truth of Christ. As Christians, we are reminded that we are not alone in our journey of faith. If you're here today and you're saved, let me just say the Holy Spirit is our constant companion, offering comfort, wisdom, and strength when times are hard. The the Spirit empowers us to live holy lives, to bear witness to the truth and be vessels of God's love and grace in a broken world. Through the personal experience of the early disciples, we see the essence of what Christians believe about the Holy Spirit in the New Testament era. The Holy Spirit's transformative presence, His empowerment and His guidance in the lives of believers as they strive to fulfill their given mission. Now let me just say the Holy Spirit is the third part of the Trinity. Say the Trinity with me. Ready? God the... God the... And God the... That's right. And... Uh, We use that term Holy Spirit and Holy Ghost interchangeably. The Holy Ghost is the third part of the Trinity and is someone, listen, is someone who wants to indwell you. He's someone who wants to take up residence and live within you. He wants to come into your heart and life. He wants to radically change you for the better. He wants to wash away the sin and transgression of your life He wants to make and seal your fate to heaven. I propose that the greatest gift offered to every man, woman, boy, and girl is not a new house, it's not a better paying job, or a promise of great wealth, or great health, or relational peace. The greatest gift, the greatest gift that God is offering you is His Holy Spirit to indwell you and guide you through uncertain times. Comfort you during hard times. Rebuke you during rebellious times. And love you all the time. If you've never allowed Christ alone to be your Savior, then you do not know what it is to have the Holy Ghost to be your comfort during hard times and your friend. There are many who have received Christ as their Savior. The Holy Spirit of God has taken up residence in their heart. But, sadly, he's largely ignored. Many, if not most, of the benefits he offers, they largely go untouched. 
Let me just say this morning that if you'll open up your heart and allow Christ to be your Savior, then you can know what it's like to have the guidance of God's Spirit right within your heart and mind. So I want to take you on a journey through the pages of Scripture this morning as we seek to understand this command of Christ to receive ye the Holy Ghost. Get those uh, bulletins out there. Get your Bibles ready. We're going to look at a handful of passage, passages throughout the Scriptures this morning. Number one, first, let's talk about our belief about the Holy Ghost. Our belief about the Holy Ghost. Uh, we're going to look at two thoughts here. And by no means is this an exhaustive study on the Holy Ghost. Back in 2018, I preached, I think, 10 to 12 sermons uh, covering the doctrine of the Holy Ghost throughout the Scripture. And so, uh, what took me 12 weeks to preach, I'm going to give some uh, short version of that here in just a few minutes. Uh, so, please understand that this is by no means an exhaustive study, but I want us to understand the basic premise of who He is, and then we'll talk about what it is He has to offer me and you. Letter A, notice His personhood. His Personhood. Uh, turn over to John chapter 14. If you're in John 20, that should just be a couple of chapters back there to the left. John chapter 14 and verse number 16. His personhood. The Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit is a person with gender in the Bible. He's not just some uh, floating ghost or floating spirit and some mythical creature. Look at John 14 and look at verse 16. The Bible says, And I will pray the Father... And he shall give you another comforter. Notice the letter C is capitalized. We call that a proper noun. A proper noun describes a person. That is the name of the Holy Ghost. He is our comforter. Look here. That he may abide with you. Notice he. He. Notice the gender. The comforter. He may abide with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not. Neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. Turn over to John 16. John 16 and verse number 8. John 16 and verse number 8. And we see here yet again that the Spirit of Truth or the Holy Spirit or Holy Ghost or Comforter, all descriptions of the same person, uh, is described as a person with gender. Look down at verse 8. And when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And if you are the skeptical type, look up a verse or two and you'll find that Jesus is describing yet again the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Ghost or Holy Spirit is not some mythical presence. Let me repeat that. That gives you some kind of funny feeling or strange emotional experience. Please don't be guilty of relegating Him to nothing more than some uh, feeling or experience you have when you show up at church. No, He's much more than that. The Holy Spirit is a person with gender. Uh, he is just as much God as Jesus Christ and God the Father and he fulfills a very important purpose. Letter A, his personhood. Letter B, let's look at his purpose. His purpose. Go with me to John 16. You're there. Look down at verse number 7. And here Jesus explains the Comforter or the Holy Ghost is his purpose. Look here. Nevertheless, look at the Bible. I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away, Jesus says. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he is come, here's his purpose. Look here. He will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness, 
and of judgment. So he has a, per, a threefold purpose in reproving. He reproves sin, righteousness, and judgment. Now, let's see how those three play out. Look at verse 9. Of sin, because they believe not on me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and ye see me no more. Of judgment, because the prince of this world is judged. So what is his purpose? Well, he reproves the world of sin. How does he do this? By bringing conviction on sinners so that they will be brought to salvation through the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Do you remember the story in the Old Testament where Abraham sends his servant to go find a bride for his son Isaac? He wants to take Isaac with him, and he says, no, you must go by yourself and find a bride. Abraham sends his servant into another country. He finds a bride, and he brings him back there to his son. Now, in that story, God the Father represents, uh, Abraham is represented by God the Father, and the servant is represented by the the Holy Spirit, and Isaac is a picture of Jesus Christ, and Rebecca, who he goes and finds, is a picture of the church. And so what does uh, the Holy Spirit do? He leaves heaven, and he comes into the world, and he looks to find a bride to present to Jesus in heaven one day. Uh, there are those who believe in this term called Total depravity. Let me just talk about this for a moment. Total depravity is this idea out of Romans 3 that we are so sinful in our nature that not only can we not find our way back to God, we also have no desire to search for God. And I can get on board with that to a point. But let me just say this. The purpose of the Holy Spirit is to come in the world and convince those who want nothing to do with God to turn and be pricked of their sin. Again, John 16, verse 7 says, He comes into the world to convict or to reprove of sin because there are those who believe not in Jesus. So what does the Holy Spirit do? He comes down to a depraved people and he uh, is. Uh, the Bible says God is not a respecter of persons. He doesn't hand pick some and ignore the others. No, the Holy Spirit of God works to take those who are turned in sin and away from God and convict them of their sin in order that they may turn and believe in Jesus to be saved. And so, what is His purpose? His purpose is to find those who are headed to hell because of their sin and convict them of that sin so that they'll turn to Jesus and believe. Now, picture the Holy Ghost uh, and there's a heart. Uh, the heart is the mind, the will, and the emotions. We covered that last Sunday. The Holy Spirit is like that person standing outside the door and He's knocking on that heart's door. And you know what He's saying? He's saying, open up and let me in. I want to come in and I want to save you. Open up and come in. Hey, that sin is an offense to God. That sin is a violation of God. Open up that heart and let me in. And so what is His purpose? His purpose is to come into the world and find sinners so that they can be saved. Sinners that are bound for hell and save them so that they can go to heaven. Well, what else is His purpose? Look back down with me at verse number 10. It says, Of righteousness, because I go to my Father, and ye see me no more. Now, what does that mean? That means that Jesus, when He walked the earth, 
He had 12 disciples who believed on Him and He guided them into righteous living. And then when He left, He sent the Holy Spirit down to continue to guide them into righteous living. So again, picture here, you have a heart and Jesus, or the Holy Spirit rather, is knocking on that heart's door trying to get sinners to let Him in. And when a sinner opens up their heart and believes, He enters into the heart and then His purpose changes. His purpose at that point is then to take those who are saved and lead them into righteous living. What does it mean to be righteous? To be righteous means to have right standing with God. Now, I've got two children, and I love my children very, very, very much. Can I tell you that sometimes they misbehave? Would you like me to tell you how they misbehave? I can tell you that they don't want me to tell you how they misbehave. How many of you here have raised kids and know that even the best kids misbehave sometimes? Okay, very good. All right. Some of you just shot a dirty look at the child in the row next to you, okay? Because they misbehaved this morning. You know, when my children are in a time of rebellion or in a spirit of rebellion, they are not in right standing with me and their mother. You listening? And when you and I are living in sin and rebellion as children of God, we are not in right standing with God. The Holy Spirit's duty is to come along and mediate that relationship and lead us out of sin and into righteousness. So what is His purpose? His purpose is to uh, reprove the world of sin so people can be saved. His purpose is to reprove the saved and bring them into a place of righteousness. Now, uh, we see here our belief about the Holy Ghost. Let's look at number two. Our baptism of the Holy Ghost. Our baptism of the Holy Ghost. Uh, Acts chapter 1 in your Bibles. Now, there are a handful of passages in the Bible that Baptists generally try to steer away from and avoid because uh, they have a hard time explaining them and so they'd rather just avoid them. And can I just tell you that that is not the right way to handle passages like that? All Scripture, 2 Timothy says, all Scripture, all including the difficult passages. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. you believe that this morning? Oh, not very many of you believe that this morning. Do you believe that this morning? Amen. Okay, so all Scripture. Now, there are some passages in Acts 1 and 2 uh, that um, uh, I'll say this. The, the charismatic Pentecostal crowd has have hijacked these passages, and I believe they've taken them out of context. But I'm not going to avoid them just because that that has happened. Let me just uh, address this really quick before we move on in the sermon. There were some things the Holy Ghost did in the early church believers that He does not appear to be doing today. Now, God can do anything, anytime, anywhere. Let me say that again. God is capable of doing anything, anytime, anywhere. What were the purpose of the sign gifts, like healing and speaking in tongues and miracles and uh, extra prophecies? What were the purpose of those gifts? Well, we know that here in Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2, the church had not yet been established around the world, and we know that the Word of God had not been uh, completed. And so what happened is that God used extra gifts in order to establish the church 
in the Word of God and establish the men who would, uh, rather, uh, give validity to the men who are establishing the church in the Word of God. Now, hypothetically, if you were to go to a place in the world where the Word of God had not been translated into that language and a church had not yet been established, I can see these sign gifts being used again in order to make that work happen. Take a country like Bangladesh where 45 million people live and to our knowledge there's not one person in that country who's believed in Christ. Let's say you were able to penetrate that Muslim country and you were able to begin to do the work of uh, translating the Bible into their language and getting a church established, God very well may work like He did in Acts 1 and 2 and on through the uh, beginning of the book of Acts uh, with, with, uh, with someone in that work. But now the Word of God is established and the church is established and so some of these gifts have fallen off all the same. The leading of the Holy Ghost and the baptizing of the Holy Ghost is still something that is experienced Today, look at Acts chapter 1 and verse 4. And before I read this, I want to say one more thing. Because I've lost some of you already, and I've upset some of you, okay? So let me say this before we move on. If you disagree with what I just said, I still love you. I mean that. And I don't want to have a fight with you. Okay? If you're here this morning and you don't agree with that, that's not the point of the sermon. We can talk about those things in my office for as long as you want. And I will hear you out, and I will hear your point, and I will try to help you understand my point. But let's be unified by Scripture, not divided by it, okay? Acts chapter 1, look at verse number 4. Look here. The Bible says, And it shall come to pass in the last day, saith God, Look here, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. This is a prophecy from the book of Joel. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall uh, dream dreams. Look here, I will pour out my, notice the capital letter, my spirit upon all flesh. The word baptism uh, simply means, listen to this, to immerse or to submerge. There's a baptistry pool right over here to my left. You're right, okay? Um, we don't sprinkle people here because that's not baptism. All right, you can't you can't immerse or submerge somebody by you know flicking some water on their head or pouring a little bit of water on their head. When we baptize somebody, we dunk them. We put them all the way under the water. Now, I've had some instances where I've had a hard time getting the person to go all the way under the water, okay? But all the same, it's the idea of completely submerging. Now watch this. In baptism, we represent the death of Christ. That's you in the water, okay? There's the burial of Christ. That's you going under the water. And that's the resurrection of Christ. That's you coming out of the water. Now look back here in verse number 5. You see a contrast. For John truly baptized you with water. But, so here's the contrast, ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. So this is not talking about a water baptism. This is talking about being immersed or submerged. And here's the word, consumed, consumed by the Holy Ghost. Alright, letter A, notice, he consumes the believer. He consumes the believer. Alright, we looked at Acts 2.17. I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh. That word baptism simply means to immerse, submerge, or consume. Immerse, submerge, or consume. Now, the Holy Spirit's role throughout the Bible has depended on the timing. Alright, God is a trinity. That means He is one being, but He's three persons. How many of you understand that concept? Raise your hand if you understand that concept. Keep them up. Keep them up. You understand that concept. Raise your hand. 
Very good. Put them down. One being, three persons. Watch this. He's three in one. Three in one. You say, well, how can that be? Pastor, can you understand that? It breaks my faculties when I try real hard. But you know what that means? That means God is greater than me. And aren't you glad that He's greater than me and you? There is no brain on planet earth that can fully comprehend that because God is greater than all of that. Well, how do we come to that conclusion? Well, Deuteronomy 6, the Lord our God is one God. One God. But then yet, the New Testament tells us that God the Father is Jehovah. And it tells us God the Son is Jehovah. And it tells us that God the Holy Spirit is Jehovah. So from that, we draw the conclusion that there are three persons that make up one being. Three persons, one being. Okay, now, God is a trinity, and as such, He has interacted with man differently throughout the Bible. Okay, if you go to the Old Testament, from Genesis 1 all the way up until the end of the book of Malachi, God the Father was the main part of the trinity to interact with humanity. Uh, you can find over and over again, the Bible says, the Lord said, the Lord said, the Lord said. The Lord talked audibly to Adam, and He talked audibly to Cain, and he talked audibly to Noah, and he talked audibly to Abraham, and he talked audibly to Moses. And all throughout the Bible, you find that God audibly, the Father audibly speaks through uh, to His men. You get into the prophets. He speaks audibly to the prophets. And then after the book of Malachi, God the Father grew silent with humanity. And there was a span of several hundred years where God did not speak to man at all. And then... One day, the Holy Ghost put Mary, or put Jesus in the womb of a virgin named Mary. And God was born amongst us that first Christmas morning. Wouldn't you like to have been there in the shepherd's field to hear the angels sing? Wouldn't have that been amazing to run and follow the shepherds into that little stable or cave and bow down and worship baby Jesus? There God had come to earth. And Jesus grew to be 30 years old and He began His earthly ministry. And God the Son interacted directly with His people. And then we get to the end of the book of John and Jesus tells His disciples, I'm going to ascend up to the Father and I'm going to send down the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Ghost, and He is going to be the one that interacts with humanity through the church age. And so now, here we are. The Holy Spirit is the one interacting with humanity. Turn over to Acts chapter 10 in your Bibles. Acts chapter 10. As you read through the book of Acts, you see the inauguration of the Holy Ghost's baptism happening in waves. First, in Acts 2, it comes to the Jewish believers. And then, a little later in the book of Acts, which we'll look at here in a moment, it comes to the Gentile believers. Now, these events were big, um, uh, big events. They were sensational events in nature to commemorate a new era or dispensation of how God would communicate with man. When, when does someone become consumed or baptized with the Holy Spirit? How does someone become consumed with the Holy Spirit? The answer is by simply, listen, by simply believing in Christ alone for salvation. I'm going to show you this happening right in your Bible, right in Acts chapter 10. Um, in Acts 10, we find the story of Peter, the apostle, entering into the home of the Roman centurion Cornelius. This Gentile man 
was searching for God, and Peter had come his way to tell him about salvation through Jesus Christ. This is the first time we know of where the Holy Spirit, uh, that where a Gentile man was baptized, or a, whole, a Gentile at all, was baptized with the Holy Ghost. In fact, it wasn't just Cornelius, it was his entire house. Baptized in the Holy Spirit. Look down at Acts chapter 10, and we find in the middle of Peter's sermon, verse 39, the Bible says, And we are witnesses of all things, which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they slew, speaking of Jesus, and hanged on a tree. Peter continues, speaking to Cornelius and his family, Him God raised up the third day and showed him openly. Now, what is Peter doing here in Cornelius' home? He's giving him the gospel message of salvation through Christ. Look at 41. Not to all the people, but unto witnesses chosen before, uh, before of God, even to us who did eat and drink with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify that it is he which was ordained of God to be the judge of quick and dead. To him gave all the prophets witness that through his name, whosoever, look here, whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. So he tells him, uh, listen Cornelius and all those here, in order to be saved, you need to understand a few things. Jesus came and He lived and He died on the cross for sin. He was buried. He rose again the third day. We are witnesses. We saw Him. He's alive forevermore. And here is the ticket to get saved. You must believe in Him alone for the remission of sins. Now, right after Peter tells the house this, look with me at verse 44. While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them that heard the word. And they of the circumcision which believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. When did these people become baptized in the Holy Ghost? The moment they believed in Christ alone for salvation. The moment they believed that, Peter looked at them and said, these people have been filled with the Holy Ghost. When was I personally baptized by the Holy Ghost? 1988, I sat on the front row of Central Baptist Church. I was a four-year-old boy. And I bowed my head and I prayed and I gave my heart to Christ to save me. That day, that moment of that day that I prayed that prayer, the Holy Ghost went from knocking on my heart's door to taking up residence and living in my heart. That was the day the Holy Ghost moved in and I was baptized in the Holy Ghost. He consumes the believer. What does it mean to be baptized by the Holy Ghost? Well, it means He consumes you. He lives within you. You say, is the Holy Ghost living inside of me? That's a question you have to answer. Have you believed in Christ alone for salvation? If you have, then He lives there. If you have not, then no, He doesn't. Let her be. He cleanses the believer. He cleanses the believer. Take your Bible over to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 9. And I really do want you to turn to these passages with me, at least a handful of them here. This one is critical. I want each one to turn there. And this one here is so vital, especially if you're a new Christian. This one is so vital to you understanding. This is so important. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. After you get past the four Gospels, you have the book of Acts, the book of Romans, and the book of 1 Corinthians. If you get into Galatians, Ephesians, and Philippians, you've gone too far. 
So Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, right after Romans, is the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and look with me at verse number 9. 1 Corinthians 6 and verse number 9. Paul here is addressing the church of Corinth. These are people who are saved, but they're, they're not really behaving like they're saved. He says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind. That's speaking of homosexuality. Nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified. Underline verse 11 in your Bibles, especially if you're a new Christian. And such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Hey, what a great truth. He said, listen, some of you were these things. Some of you were effeminate. Some of you were homosexuals. Some of you were fornicators. Some of you were party animals and uh, drunkards and and living a life that was uh, displeasing to God. And all of a sudden, sudden one day you bowed your heart and you gave it to the Lord Jesus and He came in. The Spirit of God took up residence. The Spirit of God He washed away your sin. He sanctified you and He justified you. There's two beautiful truths here that each Christian needs to understand and they are the words justification and sanctification. You see them there in the form of justified and sanctified. What does it mean to be justified? Sometimes we hear a word like that and uh, it uh, sort of goes over our head and so I want to explain it to you in a way that helped me understand it as a small child. Write this down if you're taking notes this morning. The word justified means this, just as if I've never sinned. Just as if I've never sinned. Let me explain to you how this worked. The moment that you got saved, the Holy Spirit in heaven, He took the record of your sin and He threw it out. There is no record of wrongdoing on your eternal account in heaven. In fact, one day when you die and you stand before God, God is going to look down at the books that have your sins recorded and instead of seeing your sins, He's going to see the blood of Jesus laid on your account. Aren't you thankful for that this morning? The Bible says that He throws them over His shoulder, He casts them as far as the east is from the west, and He buries them in the deepest sea, never to be visited again. Our sins are justified when it comes to our eternal account. Now listen, I got saved a long time ago. And the reality is that since I got saved at four years old, I've committed a lot of the sins on this list. There's a lot of them I haven't committed. Amen? But there are some of them that I have. I'll give you one that's just straightforward here. The Bible says in Matthew 5.28, if a man looks upon a woman with lust, he's committed adultery with her already in his heart. There's not a human being in here this morning, or this this morning, it's still this morning for a few more minutes. There's not a human being in this room this morning that has at some point not looked on another person with sexual lust. The Bible says if you've done that like me, that you are guilty of adultery. But you know what? When I stand before God one day, I'm not going to be known as an adulterer. I'm going to be known as a sinner who was saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. I've been justified. I've been justified. Now that doesn't give me a license to go out and do whatever I want. 
We'll get into that more in just a little bit, little bit later in the sermon. If you're saved today, then you're going to know what it means to have the chastising hand of God upon you when you run around and live like the devil. You want to run around and live like you used to. That's exactly why this passage of 1 Corinthians 6 was written. The church in Corinth, uh, they had gotten saved, but they were still living like they were lost. And Paul turned around and said, Hey, the Spirit of God which washed away your sins, that same Spirit is convicting you over these wrongdoings. But not only justified, notice the word sanctified in the verse. John, or first, first Corinthians 6, verse 11 says, you're washed, you're sanctified, and you're justified. Let's look at that word sanctified. What does it mean to be sanctified? What does that word sanctification mean? Now listen, the word sanctification means that you are set apart for a holy purpose. Set apart for a holy purpose. Now I'm going to say something here to those of you that have been saved a while. If you'll listen carefully to what I'm saying, and you'll take the time to go home and think about this, this very well may change the way you view Christianity. Those of you who are new to being saved, this may go over your head. Give me a moment to speak to those who have been saved a long time. Some people view themselves as sinners who just so happen to be saved. Others view themselves as someone who is saved, and they just so happen to still be battling against sin. Now let that settle into your heart and mind and you think about the ramifications of those two approaches to the Christian life. What does it mean to be sanctified? It means that God, the Spirit of God, is seeking, listen closely, He's seeking to lead each believer down a path where you look more and more like Jesus Christ in these three areas. Write these three areas down. He seeks to make you more and more like Jesus in your attitude, your mentality, and your behavior. Your attitude, your mentality, and your behavior. Those three things, once you get saved, ought to begin to change. Consider what Paul said in Philippians 2 when he said this, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. What is that? It's the renewing of your mind. The thoughts I used to think... I don't think them anymore. There's been a great change since I've been born again. Hey, the words I used to say, I don't say them anymore. There's been a great change since I've been born again. The places I used to go, I don't go there anymore. There's been a great change since I've been born again. The sanctification process is when God works through your mentalities and your attitudes and your behaviors and He takes away the old behaviors and He gives you new behaviors. He takes away your old attitude and He replaces it with a new attitude. He takes away your old broken mentalities that were plagued with sinful thinking and He replaces them with a new mentality that's beautiful and pleases the Lord. Listen to Galatians 2.20. Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Listen to this phrase. Paul said, Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. Think about that. It's Christ that ought to live in you and shine through you. Boy, let me get practical for you this morning. It should be that the longer that you are a child of God and the longer the Holy Spirit works on you to lead you into righteousness, the more you begin to let Christ live in you. You stop your cursing. Why? Because you, your mouth uh, is like Christ. 
You stop complaining. Why? Because your mentality becomes like Christ. You stop being conceited and lifted up in pride. Why? Because you're clothed with the humility of Christ. You start edifying. Why? Because this is the example of Christ. You start serving. Why? Because this was the behavior of Christ. You start seeking out the lost. Why? Because this was the mission of Christ. And you start worshiping the Father. Why? Because this was the passion of Christ. And as the Holy Spirit leads into righteousness, we become more and more saintly in our behavior. We become more Christ-like. Why? Because we've been baptized by the Holy Ghost. We're washed in the righteousness of Jesus. And He justifies us in heaven. He sanctifies us here on earth as He prepares us to go to heaven and be with the Lord. What does it mean to be baptized by the Holy Ghost? Letter A, He consumes the believer. Letter B, He cleanses the believer. Letter C, He certifies the believer. He certifies the believer. I want to read for you Romans chapter 8 and verse 16. And by the way, this entire sermon could have just been preached out of Romans chapter 8. It is so theologically thick and deep. I didn't go that route. But everything I'm preaching this morning can be backed up through Romans chapter 8. But let me just read for you a verse here. Verse 16 says this, The Spirit itself, listen closely, The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. I heard of a man who was uncertain of his salvation. Not sure whether or not he was actually saved. And so he went to see his pastor. He sat down in the pastor's office and he said to the pastor, he said, I'm not certain I'm saved. The pastor opened up to Romans 8.16 and read this verse, The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. He looked at the man and he said, Why don't you ask the Holy Spirit right now to let you know whether you're saved or not? That man bowed his head sitting in the pastor's office. And after a few minutes of silence and prayer, he clutched his hat. And he looked the pastor in the eye and he said, Okay, that settles it. The Spirit of God just affirmed in my heart that I am His child. That I am saved. Here's a, here's a quote for you I heard some time back from a pastor that has really helped me. Where there is no conviction for sin... There's been no conversion from sin. Where there is no conversion for sin, there's been no conversion from sin. The reality is that you can sear and bend and pervert your conscience. You have a man and woman who are living together, sleeping together outside of the bonds of marriage, and they're not saved. The reality is at some point, it's not going to bother them anymore. But if you're a child of God, you can't live that way and not have the Spirit of God bother you. Amen. He pokes at you. And He pokes at you. And He pokes at you. And He pokes at you. Ladies, you can't have a covetous spirit where you're constantly wanting more and more material goods to build your image and be saved and not have the Spirit of God poke at you and poke at you and poke at you. Men, you can't keep looking at pornography and dealing with lust and not have the Spirit of God at some point poke at you and poke at you and poke at you and say, hey, that's not right. 
Hey, you shouldn't be looking at that. Hey, you shouldn't be wanting that. Hey, you shouldn't be doing that. Hey, you shouldn't be going there. Hey, you shouldn't be talking that way. Hey, you shouldn't behave that way. You say, Pastor, are you saying that the Spirit of God is going to get on me? That's exactly what I'm saying because He wants you to be in right standing with God and the fact that He continues to convict you day after day, week after week, month after month, and year after year is a good sign that you indeed are saved. Ephesians chapter 4. Turn it over to Ephesians chapter 4. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. If you're sitting in 1st Corinthians, where did I have you at? Romans last. If you're in Romans, go over two books to the right. Galatians, Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4. Now, the Holy Spirit, we said a few minutes ago, was a person. And as a person, He has emotions. He has emotions. Imagine that your best friend betrayed your trust. How would that make you feel? Imagine that you had family who cared more about making money than they did about looking after their own family members. They were willing to walk all over their family in order to make a buck. Imagine how that make you feel. Imagine that you had a best friend and you found out she had, he or she had stabbed you in the back and had been unkind about you. How that make you feel? You understand, as a person, you're born with emotions. Okay? Listen, so is the Holy Spirit. He has emotions. Look at verse 30, Ephesians 4. We're given a warning against all these sins. Verse 26 tells us to uh, be angry, sin not, let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more. Rather let him labor with his hands, right? And then we get to verse 30. All these sins are addressed. And by the way, after verse 30, we get into 31 with bitterness and anger and wrath. Right? All these sins. And right in the middle of all these sins, we find the, the, the emotions of the Holy Spirit. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. Can you read the rest of the verse with me? Ready? Whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. You cannot sin and forfeit your salvation. Why? Because while the Holy Spirit is living within your heart and your sin breaks Him and grieves Him, you know what? He has still sealed your salvation. He sealed it. Let me tell you what I believe this morning. I believe that the moment every human being is born, their name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Why? Because I believe God wants every soul to go to heaven. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God wants everyone to be saved. And the reality is, is that if you reject Christ, then before you die, your name will be blotted out of that book because you did not receive Christ. And if you believe in Christ for salvation, He puts a wax seal over your name and that your, your name will never be removed. You believe in Jesus, your name is sealed. The Holy Ghost is the one that seals your name. He certifies the believer. What does it mean to be baptized? Well, it means that you have uh, been consumed by the Holy Spirit. It means you've been cleansed by the Holy Spirit. And there is a certification of your faith by the Holy Spirit. Number one, our belief. Number two, our baptism. Let me get into my favorite part of the sermon this morning. That would be the benefits of the Holy Ghost. The benefits of the Holy Ghost. I mentioned earlier, but at the age of four, I gave my heart to Christ. And I became His child. The Holy Ghost moved in and took up residence in my heart. Hear what I'm about to say because this is so important. I really don't remember a time when the Holy Ghost was not a part of my life. But, but, I do know what it is like to have Him in the house of my heart all the while 
I was neglecting and ignoring Him. As a result, all of the benefits that He had to offer were left out of my daily life. You see, you can be saved and never really experience the full benefit package of being saved. Imagine you got a new job. And this job had the best benefit package imaginable. You went into HR and they told you, we're going to give you a job, and along with this job, we're going to give you a million-dollar life insurance policy, and uh, the, the recipient of that money upon your death will be the person you choose. And it is not going to come out of your paycheck. The company's going to cover it. Sign me up for that. Amen? And then you say, they say, and on top of that, we're going to give you a full coverage health insurance with no co-pays, no limits, at no cost to you. Sign me up. And then they hand you a stack of paper and say, fill out these forms and we'll get the ball rolling. And you never fill out the forms. You know, they get lost in the back seat of your car and get some coffee on them and, you know, get trampled and land on the floorboard and it rains outside and, you know, people track mud in the car and now you've got these wet papers in the back and your wife takes the car down and decides she's going to clean it because you never clean your car and, and uh, she knows nothing about this benefit package and she finds these messed up papers on the floor and she throws them away and you forget about it. And a year later, you find out you have terminal cancer. But it's going to be a long battle. You go in to get the insurance, but you never signed up. Now it's too late. Your family has to cover every dime of that cancer bill because you have no insurance. Then you die. And that million-dollar policy that should have been given to your spouse or your family doesn't exist. Because you had a benefit package, but you never took advantage of it. Now you'd say, Pastor, that's crazy. Can I tell you that what the Holy Spirit has to offer you is far greater than health insurance and life insurance. And most Christians never touch the benefit package. Never touch it. Now in just a few minutes, I can't even begin to tell you everything He has to offer. There's, there's a whole lot I had to cut out. There's a whole lot more too, and I encourage you to do your own Bible study. Can I give you three things the Holy Spirit wants to give you as a benefit package this morning? Notice letter A. He offers power and strength. I'm sorry, He offers peace and serenity. Letter A. He offers peace and serenity. We go to a verse that I just discovered this week preparing for this sermon. I don't know that I've ever preached this verse here before. Romans 15. Verse 13, if I am the one that provides your spiritual diet and you don't study the Bible on your own, then I really want you to turn over, I want everybody to turn over to Romans 15, but I want everybody to see this. Romans 15 and verse number 13, He offers peace and serenity. Romans 15 verse 13. I want us to read this verse together actually, so please get there. And I want us as a church body to read this verse together. I'll wait for the pages to quit turning, so I know everyone's made it there. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. Romans 15, verse number 13. Are your pages stuck together? You ever have that happen? Everyone's waiting on me. Hurry up. All right, verse 13. Ready? Here we go. 
Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. What does the Holy Ghost give us? Joy and, and peace in believing. Joy and peace. How about John 14, where Jesus said this about the Holy Spirit. He called Him the Comforter. And then in verse 27, Jesus said, Peace I leave with you. The Holy Spirit offers peace and serenity to carry you through the days of sunshine and through the days of storms. It's especially, it is especially through those hard days that the Holy Ghost steps up and calms us while the storms rage on in our lives. Hey church, listen to me. I, I, I've been bombastic and I've been excited this morning, but I just want to speak directly to your heart. Will you give me your heart for just a moment here? Will you listen to me? Life is hard. It's busy, it's stressful, it's fast moving. It's filled with disappointments, it's filled with hormonal changes, it's filled with the behaviors of other people, it's filled with people that let us down, it's filled with ups, it's filled with downs. And the only way to make it through life with peace in your heart on the mountaintops and the valleys is to be yielded to the Holy Ghost in your life and let Him put His peace there when the storms are raging in your life. We live in a day and age where mental health has been greatly emphasized. Now, I don't begin to want to make any statements that are, that are, that are broad-brushed or sweeping. I understand. Oh, I want you to hear this. I understand there are exceptions to everything. You may be one of those exceptions. But I have found it quite interesting that as screen time to our eyeballs has gone up, mental health problems have also gone up. You were not made to stare at a screen for hours a day. You were not made to do that. You were not made to live in a constant comparison machine of social media. You were not made to do that. You are not made to constantly be in touch with what everybody thinks about everything all the time. Amen. You were not made by God to be that way. And I'm not saying that's the only driving factor of depression and mental health. There are others. But that's a big one. That's a big one. What we are called by God to do is to yield to the Holy Ghost and follow His leading in, in His life. When was the last time the Holy Ghost prompted in your spirit for you to put your phone down and walk away and you actually did it? When was the last time the Holy Ghost said to you, that relationship is toxic, you need to cut that off, and you did it? When was the last time the Holy Ghost said to you, hey, your career direction is not healthy, and listen, you need to make some changes within your career, or you just need to change careers altogether, and you actually followed through on what was said? When was the last time there was a moving in your heart to say, hey, the way you're raising your family and the emphasis you have on your Bible and the emphasis you have on church, they're lacking. They're not where they ought to be. Listen, uh, uh, to get the benefit package of the Holy Spirit, we must yield our stubborn wills and follow the leading of the Holy Ghost. What other benefits does He offer? Not only does He offer peace through hard times, He offers power and strength. Look back at Romans 15, verse 13. Now the God of hope 
fill you with all joy and peace and believing that ye may abound in hope. Look here. Through the power of the Holy Ghost, of all of the points of my sermon this morning that intimidate me, this one intimidates me the most. Because I don't know how to adequately convey to you the power available to you. Let me give you a very uh, uh, simple, almost overly simplistic illustration. Let's say you spent your whole life driving a four-cylinder car and only three of the cylinders worked. You know that hill coming up 15 where you come out of the tunnel? You're that car that everyone's just zipping by, okay? And after years of driving that car, someone hands you the keys to a Ferrari. This illustration does not adequately describe the power that the Holy Ghost has for you. Instead of talking in um, philosophical terms, let me make it super practical. What kind of power does the Holy Spirit have? Well, we know in Genesis 1-2 that the Spirit of God helped to create the universe. He made everything from nothing. We know in Matthew 1 and Luke 2 that the Holy Ghost was the one that placed the Christ child in the virgin womb of Mary. We call that a miracle. For a woman to remain a virgin and become pregnant, that is a miracle. The Holy Ghost is the one that did that. He was involved in raising Jesus Christ back from the dead. Let me say that again. The Holy Ghost was involved in raising back Jesus from the dead. Romans 8, verse 11, But if the Spirit of truth that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal body by His Spirit which dwelleth in you. The Holy Ghost was involved in raising someone who is dead back to life. He is the one who washes away your sin in heaven. Titus 3, 5, and 6. He is the one that seals your fate in heaven. We saw that out of Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30. Now, the same person, this same person lives inside of you and wants to empower you to live your life with great purpose. Imagine what kind of employee you would be if you yielded this power. Imagine what kind of son or daughter you could be if you yielded to this power. Imagine what kind of spouse or parent you could be if you yielded to this power that lives within you. Imagine what kind of witness for Christ you could be if you yielded to this power. Let me speak to all of us right here. Imagine the victory over habit sin, you could experience if you yielded to this power. What benefits does the Spirit of God offer? He offers peace and serenity. He offers power and strength, letter C. He offers purity and sanctification. Purity and sanctification. He offers a whole lot more. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, But we all with open face... Beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. You know what that means? This verse is so descriptive and beautiful. You ever had somebody tell you when you're eating Italian food, you got a little something right here? You ever had somebody tell you that? Maybe you get a little piece of parsley between your teeth and 
you're talking and you know that green is just staring at everybody, right? And the garlic from the bread is just kicking off your breath. And you got sauce on your face, you got red dots all over your shirt, and, and, and you got garlic between you know, garlic coming off your breath and partially between your teeth, and and someone bumps you and says, Hey, hey, go look in the mirror. And you go and look in the mirror, and oh and you wash your face, right? And then you smile. Oh. Get some floss and get that out of your teeth. You know why we lack self-awareness not only about the sauce on our face, but about sin on our life? We don't even know the sin we have on our life. You say, well, Pastor, is there a mirror I can look in spiritually and see myself? And that verse says that we behold ourselves in a glass. That word glass is a word we use for mirror. What is the mirror? Well, it's God's Word. When I read my Bible, I look in a mirror and I see the sin on my life. And you know what? The Spirit of God gives me the strength to clean the sin off of my life. And you know what ends up happening? I look more and more and more like the Jesus who saved me from my sin. And that process is called sanctification. And then I can live a life that brings great glory and honor to His name. Now, the sermon this morning is twofold. I'm concluding right here. First, the sermon are to the people in the room. The Holy Ghost is on the outside of your heart wanting to come in. He's saying... Why don't you believe in Jesus to remiss, forgive, pardon your sin? Why don't you believe in Him alone? Do you know what it means to be saved? Are you listening? You have to understand that you're a sinner and that your sin is an offense to a holy God and damns you to hell. That Jesus died and suffered that damnation on the cross. He suffered the sin on the cross for you. You cannot earn your way to heaven. You cannot work your way to heaven. Titus 3.5 says, Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy He had saved us, by the washing of regeneration by the Holy Ghost. It is the Holy Ghost that washes away our sin. It is not your good works that wash away your sin. When you come to that understanding, and with your mind, uh, will, and emotions, believe in Jesus alone, and ask Him to save you, He'll do just that. Now, uh, I say this, that asking Jesus is the only thing that you have to do to be saved. You're not actually doing anything. You're just simply receiving that gift. If you've already done it, you only need to do it one time. When you do that, you're going to get two gifts. Two gifts. Two and one. Here they are. You're going to get the gift of eternal life and you're going to get the gift of the Holy Ghost. And with that, you get a, the privilege of all of that benefit package. If you're here today and you're saved, here's the sermon. Are you living with the Holy Spirit as just a resident in your heart that's going ignored? And maybe there isn't that peace. Maybe there isn't that power. Maybe there isn't that purity in your life because you're trying to go at it alone instead of yielding to God's leadership in your life and letting Him lead you. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning. Acts 16.31 says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Right where you're sitting this morning, 
Let me speak to those who have intently listened to the sermon, not those who've daydreamed, but those who've given me their attention for these last minutes. If you know that you have not yet given your heart to Christ, and you know that the Holy Spirit has been knocking on your heart's door through this sermon, saying, let me in. Open up your heart and let me in. I want to wash away your sin. I want to give you eternal life. I want to make you a child of God. If that's you this morning, I want to help you to do that. I said to you, you're a sinner. And the Holy Spirit of God knocked on your heart door and said, you know He's right, you're a sinner. I said to you that God hates your sin and sends sinners who die in their sin to hell. And the Holy Spirit of God knocked on your heart and said, what He's telling you is true. I said to you, Jesus died and suffered hell on the cross in your place because God loves you so. And the Lord, the Holy Spirit knocked on your heart's door and said, He did that for you too. And I said, you just need to believe in Jesus and open up your heart and He'll say, and He'll save, I'll save you. I'll wash away your sin. The Holy Ghost is knocking on your heart and saying, that's what I want to do for you. If that's you this morning, I want to help you to open up your heart's door and invite the Holy Spirit in to live within you. If you'd like to do that, just pray this very simple prayer under your breath. Under your breath, just say this prayer. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know that my sin offends You, a holy and perfect God. I know that my sin is worthy of the death penalty in hell. Thank You for dying on the cross in my place. My faith is in You alone. Wash away my sin and save my soul. Holy Spirit of God, move within my heart and indwell me. I want to be a child of God. In Jesus' name. With your heads bowed and eyes closed this morning, if you prayed that prayer from your heart, and you meant it, and it is the first time you've asked Jesus to save you, or you believe Jesus saved you right now, I want to rejoice with you. With every head bowed and eyes closed, would you just raise your hand? Hold your hand up if you prayed that prayer a moment ago and believed in Jesus. I see several hands around the room. Is there another? I prayed that prayer just a moment ago. I gave my heart to Jesus. I rejoice with you. And I would like to speak with you beyond the service this morning and help you to know the next steps forward for the Lord. How many here this morning would say, Pastor Lejeune, I have not been yielded to the Holy Ghost like I should. And there is, There are benefits available to me that are going left untouched. Pastor, pray for me that I will begin to yield to the Holy Ghost and experience this peace and this power and this purity available. If that's you, would you raise your hand? I've been walking in my own strength, maybe. I've not been as yielded as I ought to be. Pastor, please pray for me. Many hands. I hope today you'll make a decision to let the Holy Ghost guide you and lead you.